Welcome to the Hackberry House of Chosun. My name is Bob, and I'm reading today from Let Your Kingdom Come, a book that talks about the kingdom of God all the way through the Bible. And we're in the New Testament now. We're doing the words of Jesus. We finished Matthew last time and Mark, and we started Luke. There's a bit more in the Gospels that I want to share that Jesus shared about the kingdom. All I'm doing is reading the scriptures, uh, very little comment in between, just to let you get a feel of what is coming and all the principles that are regarding the kingdom of God. Jesus talked a lot about it, and I, I believe God's people need to be preparing for that kingdom, getting ready for it. Of course, the kingdom is here in the sense that Jesus is here already and living in us, but the kingdom is coming too. It's a different thing. Luke 19. Well, let's make it Luke 17. I promised we would talk about this passage this time. Now, when he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God does not come with observation, nor will they say, See here or see there. For indeed, the kingdom of God is within you, or better translated, among you. Then he said to the disciples, The days will come when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they will say to you, Look here or look there. Do not go after them or follow them. For as the lightning that flashes out of one part under heaven shines to the other part under heaven, so also the Son of Man will be in his day. So you see, Jesus gives two answers one to the Pharisees, one to the disciples. The Pharisees need to know that Jesus is the king of this kingdom and that they need to know him first. And he's already here and they're looking at him. The disciples need to know that there is something coming in the future too. He will come back and set up his kingdom. Well, related to that text, Luke nineteen eleven and following informs us that some expected the kingdom to appear immediately in their lifetime. Interesting, don't you think, that Jesus, who had told some Pharisees that the kingdom was already here among them, tells these Judean citizens a parable that indicates it could be a long time before the kingdom comes. Luke 19, now as they heard these things, he spoke another parable, because he was near Jerusalem and because they thought the kingdom of God would appear immediately. Therefore he said, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. So he called ten of his servants, delivered to them ten minas, and said to them, Do business till I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, We will not have this man to reign over us. And so it was that when he returned, having received the kingdom, he then commanded these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. Then came the first, saying, Master, your mina has earned ten. And he said to him, Well done, good servant, because you were faithful in a very little, have authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, Master, your mina has earned five. Likewise, he said to him, You also be over five cities. And then another came, saying, Master, here is yours, which I have kept put away in a handkerchief, for I feared you, because you are an austere man. You collect what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. 
And he said to him, Out of your own mouth I will judge you, you wicked servant. You knew I was an austere man, collecting what I did not deposit, reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank, that at my coming I might have collected it with interest? And he said to those who stood by, Take the miner from him, give it to him who has ten miners. But they said to him, Master, he has ten already. For I say to you that to every one who has will be given. And from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. But bring here those enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them and slay them before me. There then is a clear sign of a coming kingdom. Yes, the kingdom of God is here. Yes, the kingdom of God is among you, Pharisees. You need to understand that. But, oh, don't write off what's coming. These parables, this this one in particular, tells of one going far away. And Jesus has gone away from us now. But when he returns, he comes with the kingdom. Luke twenty one thirty one says, So you also, when you see these things happening, know that the kingdom of God is near. It's parallel passage to Matthew 24 and Mark 13, where Jesus clearly tells his disciples who want to know about his coming and the end of the world, that they will see specific things happening before the kingdom is near again. This does not deny a kingdom now. It simply announces a greater kingdom to come. Luke 22, But you are those who have continued with me in my trials, and I bestow upon you a kingdom just as my Father bestowed one upon me, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Oh my, how clear can it get? Luke twenty-two, twenty-nine continues the future kingdom thread. Jesus tells the ones who have borne his trials with him that he appoints to them a kingdom just as the Father bestowed one on him. He goes on to speak of that same supper theme, even tells the apostles that they are going to sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. How physical is that kingdom? And how cruel if he's just saying some figurative language that they can't figure out. No, no, no. The kingdom is not just an allegorical vision. It's as real as the planet Earth where Jesus will reign. Let's move over to John. Yes, there's kingdom in John also. Not quite as much, but it's there. So totally different from the first three, and yet telling the same story. John's account of Jesus has him speak the word kingdom in only a few passages, but the concept of the rule of a coming king is definitely in John. Consider Nathanael, John 1. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered, said to him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered and said to him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Yes, they were looking forward to the king, and they found him. John 3, verses 3 and 5, Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. 
Here in John 3, Nicodemus is told he cannot see or enter the kingdom unless he's born again. And Jesus assumed Nicodemus knew what he was talking about when he mentioned the kingdom. Every tuned-in Jew knew that a physical kingdom was promised and on the way, maybe soon. John 12, the next day a great multitude that had come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him and cried out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. And then Jesus, when he had found a young donkey, sat on it, as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. Zechariah's prophecy is now partially fulfilled. The king has come. He's entered the city as Messiah, offering himself to the Jewish people, but they're not interested. They kill him, rejecting fully his claims to be their king. This rejection allows Jesus to die for a people who will indeed accept him, made up of Jews and Gentiles alike, and the command will go forth to a handful of faithful Jews to go into the highways and byways to compel anyone who is interested to join his kingdom. Let's see how Caiaphas words it in A.D. 33, the kingdom and Caiaphas in John 11. One of them, Caiaphas, being high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people, and not that the whole nation should perish. Now, this he did not say on his own authority, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, and not for that nation only but also that he would gather together in one the children of God who were scattered abroad. Isn't that what we've read all through the prophets, that, that Jesus was going to collect the people again, bring them back? That's exactly what Caiaphas knew, and it's the truth. He was speaking in the Spirit here. In A.D. 33, that same year, the kingdom and Pilate, John 18, then Pilate entered the praetorium again, called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, Are you speaking for yourself about this? Or, or did someone else tell you this concerning me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Pilate therefore said to him, Are you a king then? Jesus answered, You say rightly that I am a king. And for this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. In John 18, in response to Pilate's queries about his kingdom, he states plainly that his kingdom is not of this world. Then he says it is not from this world, but he never says it does not exist. Nor does he deny that this same kingdom which exists in heaven now will come to earth when he comes to earth. So it has been since that day. 
that we who are kingdom people realize we are a kingdom in exile. Our king is real. His principles work in us, and we seek citizens of that kingdom every day. But one day the exiled, hidden subjects of the kingdom of God will be made manifest openly to the world at his appearing. No Pilate will question King Jesus then. No Sadducees will deny the resurrection then. No one of his true people will be in shock that he reigns from Jerusalem as King of all kings and Lord of all lords. They'll know in that day that this kingdom of God was not just a high and lofty title, but a full description of the thousand-year reign of Jesus on earth. One last attestation to a kingdom from the book of John, originates with an unlikely character in the story, John 19. Now Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross, and the writing was Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Well, then many of the Jews read this title for the place where Jesus was crucified was, was near the city, and it was written in Hebrew and Greek and Latin. And therefore the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Don't write the king of the Jews, but he said, I am the king of the Jews. And Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. Well, two more men must now be allowed to speak to us of the coming kingdom as we close out the life of Christ at his first coming. AD 33 again, the kingdom and Joseph of Arimathea. It's Luke 23. Now behold, there was a man named Joseph, a council member, a good and just man. He had not consented to their decision. Indeed, he was from Arimathea, a city of the Jews, who himself was also waiting for the kingdom of God. How many others, you think, were like Jesus, I'm sorry, like Joseph in that day? How many, like Joseph, live in our day? How many have had their hopes dashed by one telling them to look around them and inside of them to experience the millennial king, that there's not going to really be a physical kingdom coming? Last, but certainly not least, for we shall meet him in paradise, is the man who gained entrance to heaven from a Roman cross. A.D. 33, the kingdom and the thief on the cross. Luke 23. An inscription was written over him in letters of Greek, Latin, and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. And then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you're the Christ, this king of the Jews, save yourself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Don't you even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? And we justly, we received the due reward of our deeds. But this man, this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Even the thief on the cross who could read the sign over Jesus' head and who was given grace to believe it, knew there was a real kingdom ruled over by a real man, and that that man was on the next cross over. Yes, where Jesus is, the kingdom is. The thief entered that kingdom with Jesus on that self-same day. 
and we'll hear from him again. Shall we move ahead into the book of Acts? Let's do, let's do just a little while. The kingdom and the apostolic church. Did the early church believe in a coming kingdom that one could see and touch? Did they believe in a spiritual kingdom available in one's heart and life now? Or did they believe in both? They did continue to meet in the temple. At first they were all Jews waiting for the kingdom to be revealed. Paul preached first to Jews, then to Gentiles, even after he knew they were not interested. Let's look at the kingdom in the history of the book of Acts. First, we'll hear from Jesus again in Acts chapter 1. Luke says, The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach, until the day in which he was taken up, after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive, after his suffering, by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Luke tells us in the very first verses of Acts exactly what Jesus was talking to his disciples about between his resurrection and ascension. One of those items was things pertaining to the kingdom. This discussion evidently raised the question in their mind that had perhaps been burning throughout his ministry. It's in Acts 1, 6. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? It's a good question, don't you think? He was for sure the awaited Messiah. The prophets had spoken of a literal kingdom that would be in David's line. He had already ridden into town, making the claim to the Messiahship. What was he waiting for? Let's see our kingdom again. Note that Jesus did not squash their hopes, as people today do. He didn't deny that a physical kingdom was coming. He simply let them know in Acts 1, it's not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. No, it wasn't time yet. And it wasn't necessary for them even to know the time at that time. That's odd, isn't it? They had asked him about the end of things before, and his answer was specific. He gave signs, directions, everything but the day and hour. Now he says, let's hold off on that a while. You go preach the good news of this kingdom all over the earth. Get some citizens of that kingdom gathered together. That's how the book of Acts begins. Well, then there's the kingdom and Peter. It's A.D., let's say, 33 to 65, talking about Peter. Peter, with his keys to the kingdom, remember, he opens the doors to the Jews in Acts 2 and the Gentiles in Acts 10. Acts 2.38, And Peter said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you, 
and your children, and all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. The promise of the kingdom is suddenly put on hold so that a more immediate promise can be fulfilled. The ideas of Jeremiah and Ezekiel about a new covenant, a sprinkling of water, a new heart, first enter the kingdom now, and later the other kingdom will be yours too. Acts chapter 3, Repent therefore and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. Yes, and all the prophets from Samuel and those who follow, as many as have spoken, have also foretold these days. You are sons of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. To you first, God, having raised up his servant, Jesus, sent him to bless you in turning away every one of you from your iniquities. Much to learn from this message of Peter that, that follows the healing of a lame man. The times of refreshing have been called the Holy Spirit, and well they might be. Others see this phrase, connected as it is to the coming of the Lord here, as the long-awaited kingdom from heaven. Interesting to me is the fact that Peter suggests that every prophet from Samuel onward has spoken of what is about to happen. I'm not aware of most of the prophets speaking about the coming of the Spirit, but all the prophets had something to say about the coming kingdom. The Jews here knew exactly what Peter was talking about. And then, of course, the final evidence that Peter is speaking of the kingdom to come in this passage is the reference to the Abrahamic covenant. There's no question that the apostles still awaited the promises given to the patriarch. Now, about those Gentiles in Acts 10. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that it is he who was ordained by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. Confirmation. The Gentiles are in this kingdom too. Philip next preaches the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ in Acts 8. But more of Peter, from his epistles in First Peter 2. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Yes, the Gentiles are in, and Peter knew it. But this letter of his is addressed to the pilgrims of the dispersion, he also recognized that his main calling was to be an apostle to the Jews as Paul to the Gentiles. And then in 2.9 that we just read, he reminds Israel of their election. And Second Peter 1, For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The second letter is addressed to Gentiles who have obtained the precious faith with us, the like precious faith. He reminds them to be very sure of their salvation. Don't stumble. That's how they'll be allowed to enter. 
the everlasting kingdom of our Lord. <clears throat> he sees a future kingdom, full, visible. And Second Peter 3, But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. This verse is often used to muddy the water regarding the thousand-year reign. Peter says that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years. It's a quote from Psalm 90, verse 4. The key phrase is, with the Lord. The key word is, as. Now, with humans like us, one day is one day. And a thousand years is a thousand years, period. But with the Lord, who doesn't live in a limited time realm, a thousand earth years are as easily passed through as one day. Interesting to me is that Peter would use this psalm at all and quote this very number at all. In using the number 1,000, he lines up with his good friend John in the Revelation, who used the same year, in a literal way, six times to define the period of the coming kingdom. And we're going to stop right there. Next time we'll talk about the kingdom and, and Philip the deacon, and then the kingdom and Paul, and so on and on. I'm telling you, it's all the way through. Stay with me. This is the Hackberry House of Chosun. Lord willing, we'll talk again real soon. Bye-bye.